Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nice and Volta Espana. Stage 8, a very exciting finale. One that we, we thought it was going to be like this and it certainly delivered. As you know, our Vuelta podcasts are brought to you by our partner, Lacole. They make the podcast possible this deep into the season. If you haven't seen Lacole kit, you can see it on Byron McLaren. White Poles once again up there. Nice, solid top 10 today. He's wearing Lacole kit. And they've been wearing those red rain jackets, those Gabba jackets in the winter. I'm getting myself one of them because I'm in Canberra at the moment visiting uh, ScoMo and my God, it is cold in Canberra. So I got them on the way ASAP. If you want to check out LaCole's kit, performance road cycling apparel, you can check it out at www.lacole.cc. Link in the show notes and the YouTube video description. This stage, stage eight, was from Logroño to Alto de Moncalvillo, 165Ks, two major climbs. Rolly terrain, certainly not flat, um, but... Two major climbs. The first is not difficult, Puerto de la Raza, 10Ks, 5.3%. But the main one, pure mountaintop finish, Rampas Inhumanas, up to Alto de Moncalvillo, 11.3Ks at 7.6%. It's straight up a fake news climb. We told you yesterday, first 3Ks are like 4, 3%, 4% average gradient, and then it gets brutal. Uh, there's really nasty, nasty pinches in this in the last 5Ks. I think the last 7.5Ks average like 10%, but there's 14% pinches in there uh, for sure. So classic Vuelta mountaintop finish. Roglic 30 seconds behind Carapaz on GC. Carthy, Mars, Martin all nipping at his heels. Could Carapaz, would he extend his lead on GC or would he be defending? But a breakaway did go, Benji, and a pretty strong flatland break, not too great in the mountains overall. Yeah, it was a breakaway, including Remy Cavagna. Once again, he's been in the breakaway quite a few times, but on paper, this stage is not really the stage that he can take home unless the breakaway gets like eight minutes, nine minutes, and he rides away on the flat sections between the climbs. In there as well, Ricosta has been great on the... For Miguel stage, a few days back on stage 6 was top 6, if I recall correctly, also in the breakaway, where the Izagiri brother won. Then Robert Stannett, we've been talking about him a lot. You've been talking about him mostly. Lantern, he's a bit of a, <laughs> a puncher that has been decent at the Italian classics. He can climb, he can finish it off at the end. So a bit of a combination of that. And it's the first time he was in the break today. He seemed to be pretty all right. And I hope we can see him a few more times in the coming weeks because, yeah, Pretty good talent, and, um, well, I see some stages ahead that might fit him. Now, Stande Wolf, Belgian, next year for Ajazer La Mondiale. He was in there as well. He was, in the end, one of the better climbers in this group, to my surprise a bit. He's not necessarily what I would proclaim to be a climber, but he can do everything at a decent level, but has no extreme master of a skill or anything. So he can do decent cobbles, he can do decent on the hills, and it seems like he's pretty decent on climbing as well. So very curious what he's going to lean towards in the future. But so far, it's a bit of everything for him. Then we've got Tosh van der Sande. 
And uh, I'm actually not sure it's Tosh van der Sande that was in this breakaway because I'm pretty sure I didn't see him in the breakaway at any point afterwards. So um, I'm going to scrap that name. Then Dybal for NTT. He was solid climber last year and went to NTT this year. I don't necessarily know what his uh, what his stats are this year, what his, what his uh, bomb res is this in year. So, yeah, he was uh, good at Malaysia last year, I think. Olankawi um, does the same thing, but still, those kind of races and brought it up to World Tour. And yeah, he's, he's trying and was as well with the Wolf, one of the better climbers in that group, together with Madrazo, the last one in the breakaway. Last year, one of the real fan favorites i guess during the vuelta because he was uh he was the man of the people in the race and he ended up winning that stage on who i don't know what the name is Havalambre. that's it him and Yetzebal. yes together with that confidence rider that i always forget who was in that breakaway but this breakaway of six riders those guys had a bit of a gap at the start, went up to four minutes eventually. We saw that in the peloton, Ineos were taking control, not pacing them back, but controlling the pace, keeping it at four, five minutes. Starting off with Cameron Worth, as always, we've noticed from the start of the stage that Golash is not in the stage. He had to DNS. He had a, a family emergency in Poland, and more than that, it's unknown. But let's hope for uh, him that it's nothing too bad or Good news, could be a buff, but it could also be the opposite. So um, let's keep some thoughts with him. Cameron Worth, then the next guy on the flat roads. We've spoken about it yesterday. One of the domestiques at Ineos that is not necessarily doing what he is used to be doing, and that's Chris Froome on the flat. He's been pacing quite a lot recently, and he's doing that well. I This is what I would have wanted Dumoulin to do for Jumbo, but obviously they're not in a position to do this right now. So... I understand that that is one of the reasons as well that he doesn't feel that he can offer much to Jumbo right now. Dumoulin didn't start this morning and um, you spoke about that quite a few times, right? All he was doing, it seemed to be unnecessary suffering. So he said he felt tired coming into the Vuelta. That begs the question, why did he start the Vuelta if he felt tired? I mean, I mean, everyone, I guess, feels tired, but I think what he meant by that is he didn't feel 100%. So... Yeah, it didn't really make sense to me that he remained in this Vuelta uh, a few days ago, given his condition, and he didn't even appear. I didn't think uh, – we disagreed on the pod yesterday. You, you said he could help Roglic. I just didn't see any possible way that that could happen because he's getting dropped getting dropped pretty much earlier than Froome. He's, he's in almost worse condition than Froome right now. Froome is do, doing a job, and um, credit to Froome for that. You know, last race with Ineos won – I don't know how many six grand tours with them, and he's doing a domestic flatland job side by side with Cameron Worth in his last race. Really, really impressive from him. But I hope Dumoulin takes this off season to get right, whether that's physically or or mentally. Probably both. Um, he showed a lot. He showed in the Tour de France that he he can be a top tier GC contender again after that knee injury. There's no doubt about that. The way he finished the the Tour de France in that third week in his TT, his TT at Worlds too. He's had a, he's had a lot of racing after not racing for like 400 days plus. So not surprised he's tired. Um, but yeah, maybe pencil that in for the off-season pods, Benji, talking about what we can expect from Dumoulin next year, maybe in our GC contender ranking pod. Uh, but yeah, Ineos controlling, but not really putting too much time into the gap. 
think just worth for him controlling. And then it was Movistar who got a bit, I think, anxious with 50Ks to go, maybe on the base of the the first major climb, um, the 10K 5% cap too. They just started pacing really, really hard and chewed into the breakaways gap so, so quickly. Rojas stole Benji's statistic for an ITV video, didn't even credit him. And um, <laughs> Arcas, Verona, Irviti, they're really, really strong on the flat. And they showed that again today that they're probably, yeah, that's their strongest part of their team, certainly not in the on the climbs. And they brought it down to like two minutes and then we knew it was done because the break was, they'd need like four minutes or three minutes going into the climb the way the GC contenders were going to ride it. So we knew it was going to be a GC battle from like 30Ks out. Eventually their breakaway got brought back. I think most are just, and they, they just whittled it. They whittled it down to three minutes, then they started pacing slower because uh, they knew they had it in hand. Breakaway got caught except for Diebol and Stun de Wolf, Belgium v Australian action. Good to see them uh, punching fists afterwards in the breakaway. Benji and I would never do that. Um, they got caught at the base of the last climb on Calvillo, and it was Movistar pacing again. And, and Benji, why? Some people were asking, I think they were messaging me, saying, why Movistar pacing today? And do you know, did you read anything before the stage, or why, why were they pacing? I didn't read anything before the stage. We know that they've got three people within that top 20 or even top 15 right now that are trying to get as much as possible out of this. And that is, first of all, Moss, who is still sitting highest up from their squad. Together with Soler, who is 45 seconds lower in GC before the stage started. And Volverde also being a bit, well, on two minutes now after yesterday's stage, 235 or something. So they've got three riders that they can play with if they can bring those three riders to the climb in a favorable position. They can try and use these riders one by one to see if something happens. And they were trying to set something up. I don't know if it was the best strategy because I feel if you're not the best team, then it's not overly worth it to start controlling half the race here because you're basically making sure that if you're not the best climbing finisher, that you give bonus seconds away to the eventual stage winner. And... That's one of the things that I would keep in mind, but also they're, they're a Spanish team in, in Spain. They want to make a race interesting, and I think that's honestly a large aspect of why Movistar rides in La Vuelta on a lot of stages, and that's the fact that it's in Spain and they want to show themselves. But all that aside, from a tactical perspective, I would probably not have put Movistar, my whole team, at the front, knowing that I've got three riders in my team that are not being able to compete with... For example, Karapaz right now, Roglic perhaps in stage one, stage two, stage three, and we weren't sure about it on Formigal whether that was because Roglic had to chase back with his whole team that he was dropping or that was that it was a general drop. So today might clear that up towards the end of the stage, but back to Movistar, they are pacing on that last climb. You said it, Rojas before the last climb, but Olivera at the bottom of that climb and one by one their domestiques were getting of the front end. The moment that we had Soler, Fulverde and Mars left is when they tried something. They tried to let Fulverde ride on and then drop the gap behind Fulverde, get off his wheel. And that allowed Fulverde to take like 10 meters or something. But the attack of Fulverde was so limited and so in the form of, oh, I want to make sure that I've got energy left to make sure that I can keep my top 10 because this is so going to fail anyway. 
So there was nothing behind it for me. I, I don't get it. It's it's a fun tactic to see. It's a fun tactic to try, but it was so forced. Then I don't think that Valverde was the person that they should have done it with. I would have done that with Soler. And the thing with Soler is he's probably going to blow up as well. So I don't know. It, it feels like the climb is too long to try this from so far out. But on the other end, they did make the race much more interesting doing so, but not in their own favor. Do you think that I'm I'm shaming them a bit too much for this move or should they get more credit for trying at least? Oh, well, let's think about where maybe what they might have been thinking and it's that, okay, Roglic wasn't looking too good after stage, whatever it was, five. Maybe he's really tired. So, yeah, sure, on paper, fresh, he's going to be better than Marcel on a climb like this, but they think maybe there's a bit of a few cracks there and he's not got maybe Koos has got issues and Jumbo Visma aren't strong. Also, for Ineos, I mean, you want to criticise someone, Ivan Sosa, what, what's happening with him today? We've got a pure climb, 10% average gradient. He's getting dropped by early. He's out of position at the back of the group when Hessing's pacing or he moves up there. So, yeah, what <laughs> what's going on with Ivan Sosa? It's Amador having to do all the work for Carapaz. Um, and Amador's not like... He's good, as we said yesterday, but he's not a, a pure climber by any means. So Ivan Sosa is really not doing the job he was brought to do for Ineos at this Vuelta. Carapaz is having to do it on his own. So in thinking about that, maybe Movistar see an opportunity there. And they, they tried. I actually think Movistar get too much criticism because they actually they don't have the best riders, right? They never have the best rider in the race. So to win the race, you have to do high reward, maybe high risk strategies or do things different. It's easy to look smart if you've got the equal best stronger, equal best stronger, equally strong best climber in the race, like Froome, say, throughout 2010s, and he can't get dropped on the climbs, and the best, who's also the best time trial rider by far. So the race strategy then is pretty, pretty obvious. Same applies generally for Roglic and has in the past for Jumbo Visma, just pace, limit attacks, don't lose time on climbs, sprint at the end maybe, gain time on TT. Whereas Movistar got Mars, Soler, Valverde, etc. They got to to win GC. They have to try something different. They can't just um, they they can't just sort of rock up to the climbs and expect Mars to ride away from people. He's probably going to lose time on the TT as well. So. I think they get a little bit too much criticism. Um, at least they're animating the race, I guess. <laughs> but it didn't work out today. I think but ultimately you are right, Benji. It doesn't make sense to... On a, Masters never beaten Roglic and Carapaz on a climb like this. It's just never happening. The best they could hope for would be to let a big break go and for that to neutralise the, uh, the GC action because there's no bonus seconds on offer. But Valverde went off the front, rolled off the front, got brought back. And then who was pacing? It was the man. It was a, a stage winner from yesterday, Benji, Mike Woods. Yeah, Mike Woods was pacing at the front. Then it was for a rider that we spoke about yesterday. We thought about whether he could actually win this Vuelta in the end, Hugh Carthy. And the thing about Hugh Carthy is, I don't know where his limit is. For years, he's been seen as one of the British talents that could hit the top of World Tour at a certain point in his career. But it never came out. He was always stuck between being a breakaway rider and a GC rider and failing to be a, bra- a GC rider and then sometimes as well failing to be a breakaway rider. So 
on both sides, he was showing weakness and not really the growth that people were expecting from him. But most recently in this Vuelta, he's been outstanding and he's been growing slowly but surely throughout his career so far. And it seems like he's hitting the notes that people were expecting from him a bit earlier in his career right now. Nonetheless, that doesn't mean anything. It's it's amazing to see that. And the fact that it's late in his career, that's just a detail for me. I've got the feeling that he is strong, but doesn't know where his limits lie. We saw Michael Woods ride at the front quite a bit, a solid kilometer or so on the climb. And this climb is relatively steep, like 9 to 10% on the majority of the last 6 to 7, 8 kilometers. So every kilometer feels super long. And Woods stayed at the front for long, but eventually it was only a kilometer or a kilometer 200 that he stayed at the front, but it felt much longer. And suddenly Kafi tried to attack. And I think it was Chavez trying to respond in his wheel, or who was it? Was it Chavez? Kuz. Oh, it was Kuz, of course. Yeah, indeed, it was Kuz. Mate, Chavez ain't marking a real move. Yeah, Chavez. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> yeah, Seb Kuz, we've spoken about him as the rider that Jumbo should use to try and be more aggressive. We spoke about it in the preview before the Velta. And he's now in a position that is not really an advantage, but that also allows him to be able to follow Carfi without Carapaz responding to him. The problem is that Carfi is closing GC. So the obvious next follow-up is Carapaz trying to close that down. But Carapaz did it at a very clever way, a very calculated way. And... That's also one of the reasons that I, I'm starting to like Carapaz and Carapaz more. He's a pretty clever rider. And he started riding it and slowly but surely reeled them in without really pushing hard. And he only started pushing hard the moment that he was closing towards them. There was this sharp bend to the left. Roglic in his wheel. I think Mars was in that group as well. Dan Martin as well. Dan Martin actually went for a bit of an attack in the meanwhile, tried to cover over that gap towards the two leaders at that point. That is Kuss and Kafi. And we saw that Dan Martin couldn't really close the gap and Carapaz closed the gap to Dan Martin again. And it was all on to Carapaz to try and close the gap to Kafi again. So it's clear that being in the red jersey right now is a slight bit of a disadvantage to me because you are being forced to try and close these gaps. Well, Roglic, who is obviously not in that, can just sit in your wheel. Obviously, the drafting won't help too much on this climb, but it's still a bit of an effect. And if Carapaz has to do the real work at the front to try and close this gap down, and Roglic gets to kind of sit in his wheel and mingle with the rest of that group a bit, then it becomes clear that Carapaz has a bit more weight on his shoulders here then Roglic and Roglic can try and play Joker card and wait as long as possible a bit to try and do something. And in the group as well was Vlasov. He was showing much more strength than the last two days. He's been getting better and better throughout the Velta so far. But eventually Vlasov was off the back for a tiny bit and uh, he came back a bit later. But I'll throw it to you now. We've got Karabas catching the front group with Kafi and with Kas. Yeah, so... We also also should say Valverde and Mark Soyer have been dropped from this group, so they've lost. They've shipped a fair bit of time on GC. Uh, I think White Poles have been dropped. Chavez have been dropped. Vlasov was kind of yo-yoing a little bit, and once they got brought back, it was then an attack from Sepp Kuss. 
And I thought, I didn't really understand because I think, I thought, okay, has he just been free to go for the stage win? That's good. That's fine. But Carapaz was having none of it. He pretty quickly attacked <laughs> chasing Sepp Kuss, And that's why I love Carapaz is he's in the red, red jersey and he doesn't care. He's attacking with Roglic in his wheel with like two Ks to go or two and a half Ks to go. Um, that distance is Carthy, Dan Martin, Onrek Mars gets dropped. He's, he gets dropped by Kuss and Vlasov. Vlasov, it's clear that Vlasov is like a more of a diesel climber. He's um, he's not going to beat these guys in a sprint. He probably he's more of a yeah one pace guy. And we saw that today how he got dropped with the accelerations, but then would could keep the high pace afterwards. Um, Kuss gets brought back by Carapaz's attack. Carapaz then is obviously marked by Roglic. Roglic looking very, very good today. And what Benji said about, okay, well, there's not much draft benefit, but if there's one man you don't want out of your sight sitting behind you on an 11% gradient in a finale or in the last three Ks, it's Roglic because it's almost impossible for anyone in the world to hold his wheel at the best of times if they can see the attack coming in front of him, in front of them, uh, let alone if he gets one or two seconds of surprise from behind you. So... They all got brought back eventually because Carapaz and Roglic started looking at each other a little bit. Roglic, I thought, might have counted at that point over the top of Carapaz, I think, with 1,700 left. And I knew this was going to happen because it was the only way he could win the stage. And it was such a such a smart move, and he had to do it early for a number of reasons. A, what I mentioned about the diesel element versus not having much punch, and also the fact that it's not so close to the line that... Uh, it's easy for him to get closed down, and he's pretty far back on GC. Alexander Vlasov gets back to the group and pretty much immediately attacks over the top with 1,500 metres. And this is why I had I had a lot of money on him uh, for the stage. Didn't work out in the end, but this was the rationale, is that, and why I said to him, I think, on the podcast, this would be a good stage for you, as well as Angler, but this stage in particular, because he's behind on GC, He's attacking with 1,500 metres left. He's not a threat. He's not going to gain enough time to be nearly a threat on GC to these guys. They're all, they all, none of them have domestiques. Coos is a little bit off the back. It's Carapaz, Roglic, Carthy, Dan Martin all looking at each other. Who's going to take it up um, and chase? So he then gets a really, really solid gap, and I, was, I thought he was gone. Uh, but these climbs are so deceiving. As I said, the rampas inhumanas. 1,500 metres takes like four minutes plus or something on these stages because they're so steep. And they let him go. He's got a fair gap up the road. Roglic, Carapaz looking at each other. And then Roglic, I use this word a lot. This was actually a thermonuclear attack, Benji. you got to back me up here. His sprint out of the Carapaz group chasing Vlasov was insane. He I agree. went past Vlasov. He couldn't even, wasn't even a chance that he was going to hold his wheel. Um, and I think what we've got to remember as well is Carapaz, he's obviously in magic form because he, he doesn't have that initial kick up the climb, but he seems to – do you reckon, Benji, that Carapaz has more of a – like he can hold the higher pace, like, a, like 90% of that pace for longer than Roglic, and it's Roglic has got that 30-second burst, and then he seems to have to settle down a little bit more. Is that how you saw them a little bit different in style on this climb? Yeah, it certainly looked like that. And we got to keep in mind, for me, Roglic just has a better punch, has better acceleration. We saw Carapaz win that stage in Polonia. 
but nonetheless, that was still a bit of a, a longer sprint on a hill that eventually led to Carapaz winning. It's not the fact that he just accelerated away from everybody. I think Roglic has the real benefit of having better acceleration. And I think that plays into your, your mindset here. You've got Roglic that accelerates away, creates a gap, and then has to go on the lower ones for a tiny bit, while Carapaz is good at that steady reeling him back in. And they've both got proper mental strength doing so. And in these situations, they just keep on fighting. And we had such a duel today with just both these riders fighting at each other without, I think, anybody knowing who was the strongest of the two here. Because when Carapaz was leading in that group behind and was always really strong there, then it looked like he was going to be the stronger one in the end. Then from Roglic's face earlier in the stage, he was actually having facial features moving, which doesn't happen often with Roglic. So I was I was looking forward for a battle here, and it really paid off because that Roglic attack initially immediately triggered Carapaz to try and close that down. But as you say, Carapaz is not the person that has acceleration to directly get on the wheel with Roglic. Definitely not with that thermonuclear attack. I'll I'll give it in for you. You are right. It is a thermonuclear attack, and we gotta make sure that definition is not overused. Otherwise, it loses its value. But it deserves in here. That Carapaz's response was first looking like he was not going to close it because Roglic was still on his pedals accelerating while the initial attack of Carapaz back to Roglic was happening. And I felt at that point that Carapaz might genuinely not close the gap, but he started closing it, started closing it. And together, well, Roglic at the front started getting on the wheel of Vlasov then because Vlasov was finally caught at that point. We expected Vlasov to kind of stay away a bit earlier, considering, well, he had such a solid gap, but then you realize it's still 1,500 meters to go, and 1,500 meters on 10% looks steeper and takes way longer than you expect. And Roglic had that gap, Karapas closing it down slowly but surely the moment that Roglic starts sitting up in his saddle, gets past Vlasov, keeps on riding. Vlasov has to drop from Roglic because that wattage was not doable. Karapaz gets over Vlasov and tries to close it down, closes it down, and they were back together. And, uh, well, I didn't know who was going to win then. Did you have any clue? <laughs> I thought it was still going to be Roglic, but I thought they were going to ride to the line together and then sprint the last 100 metres. You rarely, we, I don't think we've seen what happened next in this year in uh, Grand Tours, because that's normally what happens is they look at each other and just kind of ride it into the line and then they sprint to the line. No, because Richard Carapaz, El Jaguar de Tulcan. That's the new nickname for him. Look it up. I just made that up. We're making that his official nickname. <laughs> he attacked again over the top after closing down multiple moves after Roglic had gapped him and was looking so strong. Carapaz is like, I don't care. Attacked again over the top of Roglic. Maybe it wasn't the smartest thing. Who cares? It was, it was so good. And then... Roglic brought, brought it back, counted over the top again of Carapaz, and this one looked like he really snapped the elastic in that Carapaz wasn't really inching it back. And even in this last attack from Roglic, and this is why I think Benji and I maybe have criticised Roglic more than other people, when he is on and has the legs, he's more than just a one-attack guy. He can clearly 
do it multiple times. And we saw that today. And his second acceleration was incredibly strong as well. And he won. He really did snap that elastic and was going away. And it kind of broke Carapaz a little bit. And he, this was where he was really extending the time. And this is why we criticize him. It's because if he'd done this, and not today, but maybe in different scenarios, today he did a really good job. But say this plays out and the way he breaks Carapaz, I think, a bit at the end, say that plays out another 2Ks further down the mountain. Maybe that wouldn't work because he's doing just anaerobic effort at the end. And so the aerobic engine of Carapaz maybe brings brings him back or whatever. But that aside, if he does this earlier, he maybe gets an even bigger gap. But today he, he really extended it to Carapaz and took a magnificent stage win, certainly back after Jacket Gate, beating Carapaz by 13 seconds on the line. Dan Martin worked his way back into the stage. He was third, 19 seconds back. Vlasov, fourth, 25 seconds back. Very nice performance from him. And Hugh Carthy, 33 seconds back, lost a fair bit of time on Roglic, uh, given that he'd had Woods pacing at the base. But what a stage win from Roglic. He's now 13 seconds behind Carapaz on GC, moves back into, into second, Carthy's gone down from second to fourth. Dan Martin's leapfrogged him by holding his position. Mars still fifth. Groschartner sixth, although he dropped, lost a fair bit of time. Chavez Valverde. Valverde's moved over Soler into eighth because Valverde actually dropped Soler. And uh, Vlasov, I think it, Vlasov's going to end up in the top ten of this year. That, that's, uh, that's a lock. I think he's Angleroo. If he if he brings this form to Angleroo, he's going to be dropping a lot of people. Maybe not the top, probably not the top guys, but top ten, I think for sure on GC. But yeah, Benji, I, I want to hit you with something and to gauge your surprise. And I know you don't know this. Well, Carapaz is still in leading GC. Roglic, uh, I wouldn't say Roglic was necessarily a level above Carapaz today. When you think about the work Carapaz had to do. Um, oh, that's not true. I think Roglic was better, but not a massive difference. What do you think the odds are for Roglic to win the Vuelta Espana general classification after this stage? As in the betting odds or the odds that yes. I put on him? Okay, the betting odds, the, I'd the say actual under... market odds. I'd say under two. And um, that's what I kind of expect. Personally, though, I want to kind of pick in that I think that Roglic indeed has the better chance with the time trial coming up, but I'll. Uh, I'm so you curious. think Roglic should be favorite? I think Roglic is favorite right now. Yeah, he's a dollar seventy. He's he's one point seven. I think he was six fifty seven before this stage. I don't understand. I do. Um, I don't get it. How can how can one on one hand did people think that because he had one bad day in the rain that he was like done or something i don't really a lot understand of people why did. Did, yeah right but i think I that think that's discounting carapaz so much yeah but i think that we need to keep in mind that there's a 33 kilometer time trial and in a 33 kilometer time trial even if roglic has a bad day then he takes two minutes and a half three minutes on on carapaz so yeah Karapaz will need to find something magical to try and put that time into Roglic or have an extremely good time trial. And I'm not talking Pogacar stage 20. I'm talking double as miracle he's going to need to try and uh, win if he's on like 30 seconds ahead on, on Roglic. 
That's good. Okay, let's let's look at their stage 20 individual time trial. I would say it's actually a pretty good test because, um, oh, we can't because Carapaz didn't ride the whole thing hard. God damn it. Um, he, he, did the, he did the first half really slowly. <laughs> All right, we'll have to figure out how, what the difference could be between their two teams. on eight minutes. <laughs> yeah, he was eight minutes behind because he didn't ride properly. Okay. Um yeah, I, I don't. I see them as uh, I see them as fifty fifty. I think yeah, Roglic is better. Uh, probably on a good on a good day on his if they both are on their best day, Roglic is better on a mountaintop finish. Roglic is better in the TT. But winning a Grand Tour isn't just about being on your you how good you were on your best day. It's about how consistent you are as well. And I think Carapaz, he just got that consistency. He doesn't seem to make too many mistakes. I think 50-50 between them is, is how I see it at the moment. Um, it, Jacket Gate might not be an isolated incident, by the way. I don't think we're done with the cold and wet weather. We're going into November. November's in like three days. So, yeah, I still have Carapaz as the narrow favourite personally. Um, but, yeah, let us know in the comments how you view this this Vuelta Espana. It's clear that Roglic is certainly not going away anytime soon. Vingegaard, by the way, for Yama Visma, did quite a good job, the young rider, I think, for them. Uh, he's better today. But the main issue for, for Carapaz, zero support on these climbs. He's having to do it all himself. Uh, no Sosa, etc. Roglic has Koos. How useful Koos is, I'm not sure. Koos, the way they use Koos today actually was of zero use to Roglic at all. He followed Carthy. Carthy was getting followed by Carapaz anyway. Carapaz wasn't chasing Koos down, and um, Koos didn't pace for Robert. He kind of rode his own climb. So, yeah, Koos, I mean, great job from Yama Visma in winning the stage, but Koos didn't really help at all. So maybe they'll, I think they, they really do have to go back now, now that he's lost so much time on GC, to using Koos to help Roglic, uh, especially now that Dumoulin's out of, out of the Vuelta. Um, but, stage actually yeah do you think it's a two-horse race now right Benji you don't see Mars has lost time Soler's gone uh, Valverde's gone Carth what about Carthy Martin and uh, those two Benji you see any chance of them contesting for the top two I don't think that Martin will because once again his time trial ability is just not good enough to my memory and I don't know about Hugh Carthy on that I think that he's pretty similar in that that he doesn't have that real-time trial ability and we spoke about the preview and we mentioned that we didn't expect the time trial to be the all-deciding factor but I think the Tourmalet stage getting out of that and there being less mountain real queen stage because we had two queen stage and we just have one left right now and you could say that Formigal was a queen stage but it didn't really make the difference that I would have expected on I don't know with Roglic maybe but it was only like half a sec, half a minute. So in general, I do feel like with that Tourmalet stage being gone, that it lost a bit of the explosive factor of Queen stages. But with Angliru, this could, this could change so much. A rider could totally collapse on Angliru. Angliru is one of the climbs that I've looked forward to every year that it's on the profile. And it is on the profile this year, stage 12. It's in my, uh, it's my agenda. It's in my agenda. And, I'm waiting for it, and I think that stuff is going to happen there. But all in all, when it comes to the people, we see that Movistar is just not good enough, all three of them. 
Soler, Mas, obviously Valverde was pretty known already. Soler was unexpected that he was so decent in the first week. But Mas doesn't seem to be on the level where he is going to beat Roglic and Carapaz. He was 7 today, and that is on 54 seconds of the winner of the stage. And I think that we got to keep in mind, maybe... I don't know, Vlasov is obviously not contending for that. Dan Martin, I don't see happening. And Kafi, it's got to be a miracle if he can drop Carapaz and, and Roglic enough, mainly Roglic, to benefit in the time trial off of that. But it's going to be a, it's gonna be tough for anybody else outside of those two to actually make a running for the title here. I think that it's going to be relatively a two-horse race from this point because in GC, the sixth person is already on three minutes and a half. So... We've got four riders still under a minute, and I think that the first two are going to stay on that first two spots in what order, I don't know, but I think the benefit is leaning towards Roglic right now with that time trial, unless Karapaz can, well, unless, let's name him by his real name, El Jaguar de Tulcan can really fire it up on the beautiful Angliru stage, and uh, I'm very much looking forward to that one, but do you think that the other two have some contention in the future or do you think they're out no because Angleru, it just it it tells you who's the strongest and these two are the two the two strongest and the Angleru will accentuate the gaps that we saw today and just because Roglic won today doesn't mean that he'll win on the Angleru. in fact we saw in 2011 well to that on Angleru, so it was a different winner to who won on Peña Cabarca obviously Kobo dropped uh, Pools, uh, Menchov, and Froome and Wiggins on Angleru, and he uh, then, then Froome won on the Peña Cabarga stage when he dropped Juan Jose Cobo. So while Pools actually got history on Angleru, he came second on that stage in 2011. Um, so he's decent on these, or not decent, he's world class on these really steep climbs in the Vuelta. But that, that is a problem for Movistar in the Vuelta, always has been, is that you can't make up for your GC contender not being top-level watts per kilo guy if there's not much TT case, and they're not that good at TT anyway. And they, yeah, like how <laughs> the team can't help Mars. Well, can, it's man on man at the end at the end there. So Mars just isn't up there where he needs to be, unfortunately. Um, but good on them, I guess, for trying something today. Maybe they saw something in Roglic that they thought was a bit of weakness, but uh, he certainly isn't that. Tomorrow's stage from Castrillo de Val to Aguiar de Campo. Sprint stage. Sam Bennett's going to be pretty happy. He's got a nice sprint stage between today and Angleru. 157.7 Ks. Not pancake flat. No categorized climbs either. Rolling climbs. There's an intermediate sprint, but... <laughs> Roglic is always in the intermediate sprint jersey, or in, in the points classification jersey. I don't think the sprinters teams really care about that too much. And uh, I'm picking Sam Bennett once again. I don't know. Hmm. I think that the obvious choice is, is Bennett, but yeah, he's, he was so much stronger though on the last sprint stage. So I would dare to say that for the, for the fate of being contrarian, I'm going to... Uh, be slightly biased again, and I'm going to go for uh, Philipson. And I've, I'm going to say that Gervin Tyson is once again going to be in the top five of the sprint, just like in that first sprint stage. So for the sprint stages, this uh, Vuelta, knowing that Bennett is the clear favorite for all of them, 
I'm just going to call out Belgian names instead because otherwise it's going to be boring. <laughs> and once again, Philipson beating Ackerman, probably think that's going to happen too, to be honest. I'm not sure how technical the running is. Um, if there's any corners, etc. yeah, Philipson just, he's solid, but maybe they, they're wise to him after his jump on them in the... Uh, in the first and only sprint stage so far this world <laughs> we're going into stage stage nine but that was our world to recap let us know, know down below if you like the stage i'll obviously bring be bringing out a video for itv uh probably coming in about uh, 15 16 hours on this stage benji will be doing is what are you doing do you do buffaloes or you're not allowed to do them anymore well I, I, I was doing buffaloes um or i don't i don't even know the english words are of the animals that um, I used, but bulls, that's it. I was using bulls, but one Spanish person was obviously not overly happy that their country was being stamped by uh, by their bull industry. But in the end, I have switched towards paella. So we're now uh, going to Spanish food. It doesn't look like paella, but apparently it's paella. So I guess we're moving on to that now. We started with pizza. And I can't wait for any French races because I've got so many stereotypical things that I want to try there. Okay, so make sure you check Benji out on Twitter for his uh, three, two, and one star paellas. There, they're actually crazy. I hope he's not listening, but they're actually pretty damn good and accurate. Um, unfortunately, but yeah, check him out on Twitter if you want to see them. Thanks to Lacole for bringing us or bringing you the podcast today all the way through the Vuelta and also some of our off-season wrap-up content. We'll see you at the Sprint Stage tomorrow.